Welcome back to the, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Sunder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan, joined by Michael Singh of Waking the Red, uh, which is SB Nation's Toronto FC blog. Welcome to the show, Michael. Let's go. Thanks for having me, Jeremiah. I appreciate it. Yeah, so this is a unexpected MLS Cup final in that I don't think any pundits were predicting it, but yet it's very predictable if you just look at a big picture. I mean, this is the third time in four years that these two teams have met. Are TFC fans sick of seeing the Sounders? Does it feel like fitting that we're getting a third part to this wonderful trilogy? Yeah, I think it's for sure fitting that we are getting to see that third part, especially that it's going to go back to Seattle. We had the first two games in Toronto. so Greg Vanny having, said you guys owed us one. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely we definitely owed you one there. So, um, And, you know, we, we were expecting a great away, away showing, as Seattle did when they, uh, they came down at BMO Field. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to November 10th. I can't wait already. Yeah, so we heard that there were 3,000 000- – tickets made available to Toronto FC. I don't know that those, I suspect those weren't 3,000 tickets all necessarily supporters in the same section, but that's a lot of away support. Either I mean, even if it's, even if it's a half or a third of uh, that allocation going to fans, I mean, that's a pretty, that's a big number. Yeah, don't, don't uh, anyone, doesn't anyone from Toronto have anything better to do in the right? middle of November? <laughs> no, I that's guess getting, be- out of no, getting out of Toronto in the middle of November probably is the worst thing, right? Fair enough, and it, it's a great way to make a trip uh, going to Seattle. I mean, you don't get to probably go there that often, so why not? And it's a great city from what I've heard, so for those who get to go down, they've all, they're all really excited. Well, I can tell you this, the weather will be a little bit better than it was certainly for the first of our two meetings back in 2016, which was, what was the game day temperature, like eight degrees or something outrageous like that? Yeah. And you know what? It's nothing like 2017 when 2017 was almost like below zero. It, right. I remember being in the stands there and I was bundled up like there's no tomorrow, like almost like I was watching an outdoor hockey game and it was, it was something else, but it adds yeah, the atmosphere. Wind comes off Lake Ontario and it just beats down BMO field. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, it'll be a little bit better now in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, we're expecting it to be probably a little overcast, but 50 degrees, uh, Fahrenheit, obviously, not Celsius, which the conversion I know sometimes gets tricky. Yeah, I'm not too great with that. I think that's around maybe 10. 10 uh, yeah, like 10 or 2, maybe head. like 15-ish. Uh, okay, okay. Somewhere in there. Uh, that's nice. but it's warmy. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be balmy for, for like, yeah. Toronto's going to be wearing short sleeves, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it'll feel like summer there for sure. Exactly. So coming into this game, there are, like, Sounders fans probably haven't been paying super close attention to Toronto. Uh, In part, I know they had a great start to the season, basically just like the Sounders, essentially through the first six games, I want to say they had identical identical point totals. But then both teams basically hit a rough patch, and then they've also both kind of rebounded towards the end of the season. Uh, What's the state of Toronto FC right now, broadly speaking? Yeah, I mean, the state, broadly speaking, is that we're unbeaten in our last 13 MLS matches. Um, Not bad. No, and I think one of the biggest things to that is that we, Greg Vanny spoke to this uh, prior to the playoffs, is that they've developed an identity that they're tough to beat. They're not going to lose the battle in the midfield. They, they Instead of having, you know, maybe a more talented Alejandro Pozuelo in the midfield, they decide to throw him up top and have players who are going to win battles like Marquis Delgado, Jonathan Osorio, Michael Bradley. 
Um, if TFC are going to lose, it's not going to be in their legs and it's not going to be in their effort in the midfield. I'll tell you that much. And so Pozuelo has been playing as a false nine, essentially, for these three playoff games since Altidore went out with a quad injury at the, in the regular season finale, right? Right, exactly. And so Pozuelo essentially gives them kind of a fourth central midfielder, I suppose. He's, I assume he has a bit more of a free role than, than otherwise. And I'm assuming you guys are projecting that to continue into the final. Even if Altidore plays, it probably won't be the start. Yeah, no, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. Uh, we, we are expecting that to be the case in the finals. Why change what, what isn't broken, I guess? Um, and the, Greg Vanny has already started doing that because he's had Omar Gonzalez, our veteran center back, who joined Toronto FC. He's, he's won three MLS Cups. He joined Toronto FC in uh, end of June, so we started in July. And he's been a stable at the back for Toronto FC throughout the regular season, got Toronto FC essentially to where they are. But he went down prior to the first uh, first MLS playoff game against DC United, um, and we learned an hour before the game that Laurent Simon would be starting the game, which we, <laughs> to many Toronto FC fans, wasn't wasn't great news. But here we are now. Laurent Simon has created a, a really solid uh, partnership at the back with Chris Mavinga. So Omar Gonzalez now has found himself on the bench for the last two matches, despite perhaps being available. Um, so we'll see. Toronto FC have had 10 days off between now and uh, the MLS Cup Finals. So is Omar Gonzalez going to return too? It's another thing to watch. It's, it's up to Greg Vanny. He has a lot, of, a lot of tough calls to make. Yeah, I saw – I was listening to MLS Soccer's Extra Time Radio the other day, and they had a, you know, they had a bit where, uh, where Bobby Warshaw was putting himself in the shoes of Greg Vanny and, and kind of putting out what his – idea would be and he actually suggested that you guys might go five at the back essentially bring omar gonzalez in and drop i guess one of the i assume he he in that formation he dropped one of the midfielders i guess that's what he's got to drop uh but is that something that you think is very likely it, it would seem to run a little counter to the way that Banny has set up the team in these last uh, three games <laughs> listen from my experience of just seeing how greg Banny operates expect the unexpected in 2017, he essentially ran uh, the 5-3-2, which you alluded to the entire season. And then in that MLS Cup Finals, he decided to go with a diamond midfield right. at 4-4-2. Which totally threw the centers for a which loop. Totally, th- exactly. So expect the unexpected. I don't want to uh, foreshadow too much and m- give my prediction of what Greg Van is going to play. But again, why fix what's not broken? Sure. Yeah, and so do you come into this game, does it feel like a house money kind of situation? Does it feel like, like, I don't know what your expectation going into these playoffs were, but I know, like, from my perspective, once the Sounders got to LAFC, I was thinking, like, okay, well, whatever happens from here on out, they've met my expectations. Uh, Let's see what happens in LAFC. I had very low expectations for that game. Obviously, the Sounders came out that won. Now the expectation uh, thing is through the roof, of course. Uh, Sounders, you're playing at home. You're expecting to win. I don't think this is going to be an easy game or anything. But what what do you think the mindset is for uh, for Toronto? You know, last in, in 2017, I remember TFC seemed like they were tight, seemed like they were really worried, and then they came out and blew the doors off the Sounders. But what yeah. do you think about this one? No, I, I think we're in a similar boat there for sure. And we had two very tough matchups uh, on the road against New York City FC and uh, Atlanta United, of course. (laughs) And again, I was surprised to see Toronto FC come out ahead. Um, Maybe surprised is the wrong word, but definitely 
I could have been okay if Toronto FC were not to win those games, right? Tough, tough matches. But here we are on the road again in, in our third MLS Cup final in four years for Toronto FC. And that's, that's outstanding. Um, just to say that and, and, you know, that's enough to be proud of as a fan. Um, so, yeah, we are playing with house money there in, in that regards. But I think Toronto's hungry. And I think you have, we have maybe five players, I believe. I read on a, a, maybe Alicia Rodriguez's article on MLS.com that we have five players who are going to be returning from the 2017 uh, team and that are expected to start in that match. So that means we have, you know, perhaps five, five six others who haven't won an MLS Cup yet. Right. Right. So they're going to be hungry. There are guys out there that want to win. And it's going to be, it's going to be another interesting battle between Seattle and Toronto. You kind of alluded to this, that the team has changed quite a bit since 2017, but what, where would you say that it, cause you know, you look at it from a distance and you know, I don't know all the particulars of the players. I can't break down the roster, but I see Michael Bradley. I see Josie Altador. I see, uh, you know, you, you can kind of, you see Jonathan Osorio, you see Marky Delgado, you see a lot of these guys that are familiar faces if you've been following the league. But maybe, at least when it comes to Bradley, which I guess is depends on if he wins, supposedly he has a, a, a contract extension that triggers if they win MLS Cup. But, you know, you look at Altidore, you look at Bradley especially, and it feels from the outside like maybe this is, you know, kind of the, the, the last hurrah for this core group. Is that fair or is this... Is this really a team that's kind of in the middle of like those are kind of the tail end of a rebuild that's already started? That's a great question. I think that's the million dollar question for Ali Curtis there and his management. Um, in my opinion, if if Michael Bradley is a designated player and he's good enough to get you to three MLS Cup finals in four years, even without the help of Josie Altador, another one of his designated players, how can you justify not? giving Michael Bradley an extension on a designated player deal. Um, there are reports that if Toronto FC do win the MLS Cup, that there is a one-year $6.5 million extension that does get automatically triggered on Michael Bradley's contract, which would make him a designated player next season. And from my, from my perspective, just covering the team, I think that's perfectly fine. And I think Toronto FC are perfectly fine with that as well. So this might not be the... So you, maybe like we don't know what's going on with Eldor, but you seem to think that this core probably has a has a year or two maybe even more left in them and absolutely i think toronto FC have done a really good job at um replacing the pieces around the court to to set them up for the future you know they're not bringing in 31 32 33 year olds all the time like alejandro pozuelo is 28 right. they have nicholas benazet i don't i don't know the name his age off the top of my head but he's he's not older than 30 years old um and Subasa Endo, he's a draft pick, 26 years old. They have they have pieces there that are young in their prime, and you know they're going to keep replacing those pieces. They've done a really good job at at developing a lot of depth, and I think that's a key for their success in this playoffs. So Alejandro Pozuelo has been the player who gets a lot of attention. What is what? How would you describe his game? How important is he to TFC's uh, chances in this one? Yeah, Toronto FC, the one thing Toronto FC doesn't have um, is they don't have a lot of game breakers, especially with Josie Altador out. The one game breaker they may have is, or they do have for sure, is Alejandro Pozuelo, who can change uh, the tempo of a match on a dime in, in a second. Uh, it takes one moment for him to create something, and, and 
like that, Toronto FC are up one if they're perhaps defending for 60 minutes, right? Um, so in, t- in terms of that, he's vital. But he's also going to be important in terms of their everyday – or sorry, their their play um, – They play with the ball like constantly. Like they, they need to keep the keep the game flowing, keep everything going uh, with Alejandro Pozuelo's legs through passing through Alejandro Pozuelo. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there a little bit. But I've, I've had it happen many times <laughs> on this very yeah. podcast. Hey, there we go. I'm a veteran now. <laughs> yeah. So the, the the ball needs to go through Alejandro Pozuelo if Toronto FC want to create some sort of uh, sustained offense. If not, they're gonna continue to go down the line, perhaps go 1v1, get a ball into the box for no striker, right? Um, so if TFC need to be successful, Aliana Hunter Pozzella needs to have a really good game. Nice. And, uh, and so who are some of the more unsung players or players that maybe are getting plenty of press in Toronto, but that the casual observer, someone like myself, may not be quite as familiar with? I know like Nicholas Benazette, I'd never, I had no idea who he was until I saw that he scored against Atlanta. Oh wow! Yes, yeah, so I know that's kind of, and I felt kind of bad about that, admittedly. No, no, I'm sure you're not alone in that in that field. Nicholas Benazet, he came over uh, at the end of July, I believe it was, as a lone player from uh, um, uh, Gwynn I believe it was, and he's been he got injured in. September towards the latter half of September. Well, this but prior is explaining to, why maybe you don't know. Yeah, who exactly. So prior, <laughs> but prior to that, he started forming a dangerous relationship with Alejandro Pozuelo. He has a lot of talent on the ball. Is able to play in between the lines. Something that Alejandro Pozuelo does well as well. Um, and he's able to keep the ball under pressure. And I think we saw that really uh, shine against New York City FC in a tighter pitch. Um, so he possesses loads of talent and this is now maybe his third, third game starting since, uh, uh, coming back from injury. I believe he just started all three MLS cup playoff matches. So we're really starting to see what Nicholas Benazet can do. And we saw that in his goal against Atlanta United. So he's one of the unsung heroes for sure. Another one, again, I I touched on was Subasa Endo, who he, a year ago, he was, isolated from the first team and he's playing with Toronto FC too. He didn't make his, like he didn't make his Toronto FC. Uh, I don't want to say debut because he already made his debut early in his career, but he didn't make a Toronto FC appearance uh, until June of June 29th. I believe it was of this year of 2019. And it wasn't until I believe early August that he started to really come into form and really replace Erickson Gallardo who that's probably another name you were, you're probably like who? And yep. that's a TA, that's a TAM <laughs> signing. That's a TAM signing for Toronto FC who Subasa Endo has replaced because okay. he's been prolific and started to show um, what Toronto FC thought they had when they drafted him in the first round back in. Yeah. I remember I, that Endo is one of the players who a name I do recognize, but I kind of recognize him more as a first round bust or a player that people were really excited about in the draft. And then hasn't really, I at least, I hadn't really heard much about him until recently when I saw that he was starting to start games again. Yeah, I mean, exactly. If it, well, he went from first-round bust to someone who may start an MLS Cup final in, right. that, in the matter of... A year. Maybe, yeah, if that. And right. that's, that says something about uh, 
what the team at Toronto FC have done to really get him back going and says something about his character. He's willing to, you know, take a step back to take two steps forward. So one of the players I imagine Sounders fans have heard the name. I bet they don't know much about him, though. And I don't Mm -hmm. think he's necessarily starting for y'all, but he seems to be a player who is potentially someone that you need to pay attention to. And that's Richie Larea. He obviously uh, had a day against the United States when Canada scored that, that win, which I won't call an upset because that would be offensive. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it, Richie Larea has seemingly burst onto the scene, at least in the sense of American consciousness. Oh, yeah. Richard Larea has burst on the scene in terms of everywhere. Like, he started the year coming from Orlando City. He was released from his contract there. Um, and he came to came home. He signed for Toronto FC, and he's found his place. He adds a, an offensive element that's a lot different than most fullbacks. He isn't, he's willing to go 1v1. He isn't afraid to take on the right bat, his opposing right bat or left back. Um, and he's willing to make runs in behind. Not only that, his again, and I the part of Toronto FC's identity, his legs are are incredible. Like he runs for for days, and that's what Toronto FC is going to bring to the table again. So I'm excited to see what Liberty Larea does. He's going to be a super sub probably come uh, come Sunday. So we're kind of moving backwards on the pitch, and I may as well end it with this one. Uh, the goalkeeper situation, I think from a distance, another one, it's a little, a little odd. Uh, the Alex Bono came into the season as a starter. He was a highly touted uh, goalkeeper last year as a number three pick overall or something. He was a very high draft pick uh, mm-hmm. coming out of college. He did not have a great year last year. Uh, he was the starter this year. And then he's been, he's been unseated, right? He He just lost the job to the, to the current goalkeeper, right? Yeah, he is a sixth overall pick. Um, and he took Toronto FC to, he took, so he took um, Clint Irwin's job and right. coming coming into the 2017 MLS. Oh, that's Cup. right. He was 2017. That's right. Yeah. He, I was thinking he had a decent run. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. He has actually most of the Toronto FC goalkeeping records, Alex Bono. And he's only 26 years old, I believe it is. Yeah or 25 years old, sorry. And yeah, he owns most of the Toronto FC goalkeeping records, yet here we are with 33-year-old Quinton Westberg, who Toronto FC signed this year as sort of a, a veteran replacement for Clint Irwin, who was departing, um, to, you know, come in, uh, provide some stability behind Bono. And Bono didn't have a great 2018. Obviously, Toronto FC didn't have a great 2018. So coming into 2019, while we all assumed it was Alex Bono's job, Greg Vanny was looking for something else in his goalkeeper. And that was someone who could play with their feet. So what you're seeing at the back right now is Quinton Westberg is almost acting as a sweeper keeper for Toronto FC because his ability to play with his feet and pick a pass up field. And that's one of the things that Toronto FC have capitalized off a couple of times this, this uh, um, season already. So... Westberg has been coming up big, making some massive stops, but his true Including value a, comes... a penalty save against uh, Joseph Martinez just when that game last week or uh, when the conference finals were getting out of hand. Right, exactly. With, without Quinton Westberg, Toronto FC wouldn't be where they are right now. Um, Not to, sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 by all means. Uh, you're, you're right there, and uh, I'm glad you pointed that out. 
So yeah, Toronto FC wouldn't be where they are without Quinton Westberg. And I think his, his biggest value again will be his ability to play the ball. And so what does that change as far as what uh, it seems like it, it just gives, it gives TFC some ability to play a completely different style than they were probably playing before. Well, yeah, their, their biggest question mark has always been their back line. Um, and I think Westberg's ability to provide an outlet when you're in trouble, perhaps not panic and kick it out. You can always just touch it back to Westberg uh, gives Toronto FC's defense an, an extra little bit of room to perhaps move around. So I think that's, that's a, their biggest, uh, his biggest asset there too. And something I am just learning right now, apparently a former U.S. youth international, although he was born in France and played most of his career in France, is Quentin Westberg. Yeah, he, he also was a PSG uh, youth academy uh, goalkeeper for their first team. So, um, yeah, he's definitely well-tenured. He went to... He was, he was playing apparently in League Two before he, he came to, uh, to Toronto. Which... Yeah, and he's also a graduate of one of a really impressive. Um, I'm going to pull that up right now as we speak. Claire Fontaine, sorry, Claire oh, okay. Fontaine, one of the most uh, famous French football federation academies, mm. um, who've also had like Thierry Henry, Blaise Matuidi, Kylian Mbappe graduate there, and he was actually uh, mentored by Fabien Barthez who's a, obviously a World Cup and a European Championship winner. So Westberg's actually spoken on that and said that time there at Clairefontaine has helped him immensely in his career. Um, and I think we're starting to see that with his ability to just come into his first season in North America and pick up where he has. Yeah, pretty, pretty amazing stuff. And in, in a lot of ways, I see a lot of echoes to uh, the 2016 Sounders team in this Toronto FC team in that they – you know, in not quite as tragically or as emphatically, uh, you know, the Sounders obviously came into 2016 final without Clint Dempsey. He had gone down earlier in the year. Josie Altador, not a heart issue, obviously, but it's still, he, he's missed this whole time. They were kind of a team that was, frankly, fighting to get into the playoffs midway through the season. Even late into the season, they were still fighting for for playoffs. And and they, they got up high enough to... to to get a, a home game. They've ridden this streak. Uh, and just like the Sounders kind of did in, in 2016. So I, I mean, I look at Toronto FC as a very dangerous team. They are clearly very talented. They have a ton of experience and this, I think could be, you know, I, I know it might not be the most sexy matchup for neutrals, but I mean, I don't know that like this to me is just like a, potentially great advertisement for this league two teams that know what they're doing playing in front of 70,000 fans should be decent weather I'm very pumped up for this game uh I, I hope you guys are too yeah no I uh, I can't wait for it we're kind of in down the days already here awake in the red um and yeah in the 24 history of the MLS Cup finals this little hat tip to Martin Bailey awake in the red for the stat um Toronto FC and Seattle Sounders are the only teams to match up three times the only wow. other team, sorry sorry I, I misspoke there there's two other clubs who have done that okay la galaxy and new, new england revolution they met in 2002 2005 2014 but toronto fc and, and seattle sounders have done it in the span of four years versus yeah. 13 years right so i think that says something about their ability to win the playoffs and yeah. 
Absolutely. And this is, these are two teams that came into the league very similar times. 2007, I believe, was TFC's first year, right? Uh, 2005. 2005. Oh, yeah. well, I'm off a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, they, the teams, both teams that kind of came in during that first kind of new wave of, of expansion, uh, they uh-huh. both kind of pushed the envelope in terms of, of challenging what an MLS team could be. And they both spend a bunch of money. They both have a uh, have big fan bases. And I am absolutely pumped for this game. And uh, thanks for, for coming on. I hope people are checking out Wake in the Red. Uh, make sure they're reading your Twitter account, MichaelSing94. Uh, and thanks for doing this, man. No, thanks, Jeremiah. Thank you for having me. And, you know, Sunday's going to be a lot of fun. Who's going to – it's going to be the Sounders there. It's going to be the Toronto Sierra. Let's see. I know. That's, it's, it's funny. It kind of defines it, right? If, if, if whoever wins is to kind of gets to call themselves a dynasty, I guess. Yeah, we won two out of three, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, you have a good one. Yeah, thanks, Jeremiah. Thanks for having me. Okay.